Blog Talk Radio. All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power with your brother and host, uh, National Chairman, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination, Yanga, and Kruma. And want to thank everyone for taking this time out, spending your Thursday with me. Man, I know there's tons of things that you could be doing. So to take this time out, get political but education and some inspiration, some African inspiration, man, is always uh, motivating to me. Before I go any further and before I go into my um, talk, I want to introduce the co-host and let the co-host say something, Sister Seven. Greetings. Greetings. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Coming today, we're coming today, and the topic of our show today is the nigger syndrome and the need for revolution. The nigger syndrome and the need for revolution. And for those who have listened to the show before, know I like to usually go into why or how I came up with particular topics. And this one is funny because I was actually sent a um, link to listen to, and I'm sure you listeners out there are familiar with our brother Sarnetta from uh, Black News 102. Uh, and I was sent a link to listen to his show. And I listen to the show, and every now and then I'll catch Sarnetta. I'm not the biggest Sarnetta listen to. I really don't get into that whole debate world with um, Sara and my man, even Oscar Cat, who is like my dude from Amon Ra Squad. Um, but I really don't get into that whole debate thing. But this particular show I listened to, and my mouth hit the floor. And the reason my mouth hit the floor is because though I was hearing some very pertinent knowledge and some serious facts, the attack on black people just kind of threw me. And it made me start to begin to think that, you know, how did we get to the point where when we disagree with someone's philosophy or ideology, we begin to attack them personally. And it wasn't just on this show. I began to reflect throughout just my life in general. Anytime we as African people, black people here in America, um, you know, disagree with someone, not we don't just say, hey, listen, this is what we disagree with, with their ideology or here's the flaws and that. We begin to attack them personally. And I personally think that that's a nigger syndrome. I think that it is an effect of, 
post-traumatic slave disorder, what we call PTSD. Some say post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that it is a uh, an effect of colonization and imperialist, uh, you know, the imperialism placed upon an enslaved people. Because remember this, I always say an enslaved people. Because one thing we have to remember as black African people, we didn't start out as slaves. There's no place as slave land. There's no ethnicity called slave. We were a free people that were enslaved. But during that enslavement, it wasn't just a physical process that had taken place, but it was a psychological, a mental, and emotional, and a spiritual process that had taken place. And though the shackles are released from us physically, we still suffer mentally and emotionally from slave trauma. And we enact that. And one of the enactions is, is, is tearing people down. And seven and nine were talking earlier, and we were talking about how no one likes to be on the bottom of the barrel. You know, no one likes to be the, the last on the rung to the ladder, so to speak. So we are quick to niggify other people. You know, um, we you've seen us do it. We did it with the homosexuals. Or we do it with the, you know, I remember, you know, I'm not a light-complected brother, but, you know, I'm like a pecan tan. And I remember when, you know, we talked about the darker brothers and sisters. And then it flipped. You know, the darker brothers and sisters talked about the lighter brothers and sisters. So it's always someone there that we're ready to objectify or subject to some type of ill treatment because of the ill treatment we receive. And my whole opinion on the whole thing is that we are just afraid to confront the oppressor or the one who has started this whole line of thinking, you know. And this is what I'm talking about, this nigga syndrome, you know what I'm saying? So my thing is, you know, to the listeners, and I'm I'm going to go to seven, is, you know, what is the nigga syndrome to you and what of, and I'm not just a person that likes to just point out the problems. I'm not a sensationalist. You know, I don't believe in fear tactics. I'm not going to try to scare you into joining the People's Black Panther Party or any other progressive black organization. You know, I'm not going to try to scare money out of your pocket. I like for us to be able to at least put our heads together and attempt to come up with some solutions. So my thing, and let's just start with Seven. You know, Seven, what are some of these nigger syndromes to you, and what do you think some of the solutions could be to solve that? Uh, thank you so much for uh even asking, okay, this is one of those touchy, touchy subjects because, like you said, no one wants to be the nigga. No one does. So to sit here and to think and to admit that you may have some nigga ways about you, nobody wants to do that. You know, it's hard for people to look into the mirror. It's easy for me to look at you and to see what you're not doing and to see how you could have done it this way. And if it were me, I would have done this that way and everything. But the truth of the matter is that it's not. You know, we each have our own issues, challenges. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by trying to make one worse than the other. We have to begin to understand that all of the challenges that we faced then and that we face now, they're, they're monumental challenges. And so we don't need to play this game about which one is worse, which one's better. We really need to understand that um, <laughs> we're going to move that echo out. <laughs> but we really need to begin to understand that they were all atrocities against us. And we have to move more into the us and stop tearing each other up. We do that too much, too easy, you know. And and for we need to also let people know. I don't believe that everybody is for everything, you know. I'm not going to get uh, marital advice from a womanizer. I'm just not. 
But that doesn't mean that they can't give me advice on some financial assistance. That doesn't mean that they can't assist me in other ways. So rather than throwing out the baby with the bathwater all the time, rather than starting over all the time, rather than asking and demeaning that people be absolutely perfect all the time, why don't we just accept what people do have to offer? You know, if you ask me to garden and to grow something, I'm the wrong person, okay? Don't ask me for that. But if you're asking me about nurturing, spirituality, mental health, I'm just saying the things I can assist with, but don't condemn me for the things I can't or I don't assist with. So I think we have to, you know, rather than just totally discrediting people, find out what we can do and then use that that strength because we have so many strengths. But until people start looking, if you're only going to focus on the weaknesses, you'll always find weaknesses too. But, you know, here's my thing. You know, where does that come from? Like, I, I always, you know, I don't always like to use the white man because the white man don't do this, white man don't do that. But, you know, we were raised in the house of Pharaoh. And the closest example, the closest ethnicity we've been to outside of black African people in America are white people. And you don't see this Caucasian do that. I mean, this Caucasian will celebrate the triumphs of his of his people and he will even even if it's something that he disagrees with, he will disagree with his people, but you never really see them go into the whole um personal bashing thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like like we do. So I mean, what is this whole thing that we feel like we have to is it a Masonic complex? Are we looking for our black leaders or our and, and not even black leaders, our black Servants to the people, revolutionaries, I like to call us. Are we looking for them to be some Christ, to walk on water, to be flawless in our mind or something? Where do we get the, not just the audacity, but get this twisted psychology that we have to begin to destroy one another because we disagree with a philosophy? Right. You know, I um, grew up around islanders. I'm from Miami, Florida. And so... I am very aware and very sensitive to other cultures. And what mm. they don't do is have outsiders bother them, period, mm. point blank. You don't go mm-hmm. into their neighborhoods. Number one, they have neighborhoods, okay? And all of them live in the same little blocks. They all eat at the same stores. They all, um, you know, they patronize each other. They, they spend money with each other. I am accustomed to seeing um, islanders really – manage themselves, you know, mm-hmm. from food to clothes to housing to whatever. So that's really where I got my understanding of nationalism from. And they don't let outside people come into their area and tear it up. They don't let outside people um, talk about them, and they don't tear each other up, especially the outside people, well, you know. And so that yeah. when they when they are together – that's what that means, that's together. And it's not that they agree, and it's not that they don't have racism, they do. And it's not that they don't have color issues, because they do. I mean, they have all kinds of challenges, but you're not going to come over here bothering anything, and, and that's how they are. And they stick together because they are all they have. I think part of our challenge is that some of us really believe this government's here to help us. And yeah. so I- they don't see it like I'm all I got. They see it as, well, you know, I can get housing here, I can get food here, I can get here. You know, so they don't see me as their sister. They see me as opposition. They see me as 
someone else, you know, as an outsider. And I'm like, no, I'm your sister. I'm part of your family. I'm, I'm with what, you. That's that nigga syndrome. You know, one of the things when you're talking about this national, and like you said, coming from Cleveland, I think that you and I, we're in Atlanta, Georgia right now, but you and I have had a, a, uh, a unique advantage by being in places where they have def- different enclaves of ethnicities. You know, coming from Cleveland, you got a little Poland, you got, uh, you know, little Russia, you got little Italy, little China. So you have these enclaves of these other ethnicities. And one of the things that they're built on is that cultural, uh, the shared culture. You know what I'm saying? That they, they have shared culture. And culture, when I say culture, that being language, dress, some foods, certain actions, and things of that nature. And we don't. And one of the things that I saw, and I'm, and I'm glad that we're going into this, because that's also something I saw from that, listening to Sarnetta's thing, was this escapism, was the, I found I was listening and nobody wanted to be black African American. Nobody wanted to be black. I mean, you know, people were coming on in, they were comedic, and they were Moors, and they were all these other, you know, they were everything but black African American, which is okay to a degree. My problem came in, though, is they were so many damn things, and this is why I say the need for revolution. They were so many things that I began to question, well, what is their fight for? You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're all of these things, what is your fight for black people here? You know, and and are these things just more ways to be divisive? We can argue with people about, oh, religion divides us, but also this escapist mentality, this mentality of not wanting to face the reality of who we are as black Africans here, or not even, even if you don't call yourself, but what, you know, what the oppressor or how your oppressor looks at you and the conditions that your oppressor puts you under, I think is cowardliness because we don't want to face that and we don't want to confront it and we don't want to begin to do the work that it takes to change those conditions. And that's the only way that revolution is going to be had. It isn't about just what ethnicity that you're professing. The first step of this revolution is to say, hey, look, we want to end to the intentional and willful, the deliberate hindrance and obstruction of the natural evolution of melanated people in America, regardless of whatever we're calling ourselves. Because when that pig pulls you over, and you've heard me say this time and time before, when that police pulls you over, he doesn't say, hey, freeze more. Shalom, uh, Hebrew Israelite. Salam alaikum, uh, Jesus. Uh, I mean, uh, Muslim. Jesus loves you, Christian. He says nigger, and he squeezes the trigger. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, at what point in time do we say, and what is it that's causing us to not want to accept the reality of our situation? You know, I'll take it a step further. I know, you know, doing activism work down in Miami. Uh, I would get this kickback here where I would go into this Jamaican community and I'm like, look, we have a problem with the police. We need to get together. And, you know, they would say, well, that's not really my problem, you know, because I'm Jamaican. I said, no, no. And in alley, 12 o'clock at night, you look black. So you might need to care about what this is, okay, over here. All right? I go to the Bahamians. Oh, no, no, that's not our issue. That's your issue. I said, trust mm-hmm. me. Trust me the way you look. You look like me, and you might need to care about the things that concern me. And so, really, even when it comes to our individual ideas of who we are, about our ancestry, everything, we have to deal with the issues that are concerning us, whoever the mm-hmm. us is, okay? And right now, this us is an, is an oppressed people. 
So yeah. I think we have to get out of trying to split hairs that don't need to be split because they're not splitting hairs. They're splitting heads, okay? Absolutely. So they don't split hairs, you know? So we don't have the luxury of defining ourselves further because the issue is not going to allow us to do that. We have to work towards the solution of the issue, not towards our own personal desires and wants. All of that is wonderful. We all have great grandiose, hopefully we have great ideas about who we want to be. But we also have to realize we have a very real problem in America. Man, listen, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to be honest. You know, and they can get mad. get mad at me all you want. This is Brother Yanga. You know how it goes down. I think it's cowardliness. I think it's easier to run into history, into the annals of history, and be something to uh, claim a class, which I think we should do if it inspires us to greatness now, in the present, and in future endeavors. But I think it's easier to run and hide behind uh, achievements and accomplishments that have already happened than to blaze your path now to confront the issues now. It's easy to go back. I can put a dynamo on my head and go back and change my name to Tutankhamen and Button and all of this other stuff and, and claim the accomplishments and achievements of Upper Kimmon and Lower Kush and all this other, all these other things. I'm not knocking that, please. You, you know, mean I'm, that I'm, as respectfully as he said. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, as respectfully as I can say that. I am just sick of these escapist Negroes who are afraid to confront reality, trying to jump in some mental time warp to save themselves from having to be accountable and responsible. Let's go to this phone line because I see, I see you on there waiting. And I'm going go to go to the phone lines. Let's get the show crunk early today. 619-9979. Your mic is open. I'll bounce people, Chairman. This is Chief uh, of Staff, Brother Ward. Power to the people, Chief. Hey, I, I got a sore throat, so I'm, I'm going to be short. But uh kind of want to go back on to something uh, Sister Seven said uh, earlier when she came on and talked about how we need to stop thinking like we have to be perfect and, and deal with, you know, certain aspects and special. I think the problem that it has to do with us as, as black people, we have to look at it like this. We have been taught and continue to be taught and subjugated with believing we are inferior. Even if we don't accept that in the foreground, subconsciously that's what's bombarded with us. As an inferior people accept being inferior and, and are taught it and, and practice it subliminally as well as overtly, then they deal with individualism more so than a people that have staked the claim of being empowered. As a white male in power, a white male would obligate themselves to remain in power, obligate themselves to have a different way of looking at things and, and thinking. That's why they don't play like our old, uh, 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 elders used to say, the dozen, like that. If you think back on a lot of our upbringing, when we were ashamed of something or when we weren't good at something, then what we did is we found ways to humorize and make fun of someone else. And in doing so, yep. that took the attention off of us. And we do that subliminally on all levels. This is also why yeah. we put so much value in materialism versus our own self-worth as well, and why we don't build institutions. Because we don't yeah. value what we can do. We value what we can show you, uh, what we can flaunt and luster over and, mm-hmm. and perpetrate. 
and that also goes right back into our mythology of, of thinking and, and dealing with one another. So it's easier to turn the eye on someone else, and that's even why we get so caught up and hung up in debate on social media, because I can have a whole show catered towards bashing, beating you down, and, and uh, showing contradictions in your speech versus providing solutions and providing a way to get out of the nigga mentality. So we get caught yeah. up. In, 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 in the social community, in the quote-unquote black conscious community, we get caught up in the same thing. All it is is a high form of comic relief. We find ways to ridicule one another, find ways to make one another look bad or, you know, or, or discredit someone's perspective versus dealing with things from the standpoint of, of the ones that are, are, are ruling. A ruling class obligates themselves to actually make a difference obligates themselves to not be able to divert and, and, and wrap around something, but to actually stay clean, even like Sister Sandy and you're saying, deal with the fact that we have to have accomplishments now. That is mm-hmm. not only their, they consider that their birthright, but that's their obligation. Their obligation is to yes. get that better job. Their obligation is to run that business. Their obligation is to be on top. So they don't have the mentality to even come knock each other down like that because they understand the power of, of building an infrastructure up, whereas we don't mm-hmm. think like that. We don't have that type of forward thinking on jump. We have to develop that because our, we're constantly bombarded with being negative and constantly bombarded with being inferior. So part of the, the, inherit, uh, the inheritance of being a inferior being is to find ways to chop one another down and to find ways to, to single myself out as to being better than you. So I have to prove who I am first, and then by proving who I am, I got to do a lot. A lot of times I do that by proving who you ain't. Whereas if you are of the ruling class, is hey, I'm a white male. White male, that's a that's a status class. That's a, that's a class in itself. So now amongst white males, amongst the power base, this is what I can provide. So the deal is that they accept their position of, of being supreme first and as a people or, you know, as a class, and from that they talk about what they are contributing to that to that particular structure. So, therefore, they already are coming from the standpoint of an empowered class of people, whereas we come from the standpoint right. of not knowing a damn thing about us, who we are, mm-hmm. speaking their language, how they customs, chase after their dollars, chase after their way of life, and in doing so, when we become, quote-unquote, economically well-off or, or socially well-off or any well-off, we find ourselves in a class to where we're, or we are, we look around and, and, and we're, it's just a couple of blacks. You see what I'm saying? When we work at, at certain types of achievement, then we, we, we tend to find less of us, you know, as far as skin color around. And from, and from that point, we have to be an individual because we're trying to prove above the inferior position. So we have to fight harder because we, we compete now with, with their class as an individual. But so you know what, Ward? Now here's what gets me, Chief. Now here's what gets me, Chief and Seven. Um, you know, we, and especially in this age of information, in the information age, we're, we're at the age where you push a button. Hell, I don't even have to push a button. I can talk on my phone and be like Google, and whatever I ask for, 
and she'll talk. I don't even have to read it. You know, Google will tell, she'll tell me what I'm looking for. So in this age of information and all of this information about our past achievements from ancient Kemet to even the accomplishments, achievements, innovations, and inventions of Africans right here in America, why do we still feel the need to tear one another down? Haven't we accomplished enough? Don't we have enough access to information that we should feel um, at least worthy of some type of Honor, why, why is it that I still, and when I say I, I'm speaking as I as a collective. You know, we practice um, African communalism here, People's Black Panther Party, self-determination. But don't we have enough information at our disposal that we should feel worthy enough or feel enough of a sense of self-pride that I no longer have to tear my brother and sister down for some accolades or to feel like that I'm doing something? What does this need to feel destroy one another? You, you have to understand how we have been educated up until now. See, I'm part of the Black is Beautiful phase. I, I was there. I know that there's an African-American anthem, okay? I know that there are pledges. I know there are black governments. I know all of this stuff because I was intentionally indoctrinated with this information as a youth. I'm a Garveyite, okay? I know what happens when we can put our minds together and be uh, um, determined to make things happen. But the next generation under us, when they intentionally put drugs in our community, when they intentionally put guns in our community, when they turned the youth against the elders, when that occurred, that whole training stopped. We stopped telling our children black is beautiful. We told them to twerk, and they practiced it at age five and six learning how to sashay themselves, okay? We, so we're, not, we're taught to be niggas. Niggas right now make money, okay? This is love and hip-hop. This is all that ratchet, you know, stuff on TV, and we don't even look real no more. We're getting butt implants and fake lips and fake everything and showing, you know, the world your goods and everything else like that. So that intentional training, what you're saying about the accomplishments, and we have documentation, and we have Black Wall Street, and we have all, yes, yes, all that is true. But understand that was intentionally derailed by drugs, guns, money in the community, the public housing, the ghettos, Brick City, and everything else like that. So we have been interrupted. There's a gap. You know, so we had a huge learning curve and had all these institutions built and entrepreneurs that do this, and we were, I mean, I don't know how you take a people who couldn't even read and write, weren't allowed to read and write, and produce some of the highest thinkers, inventors, you know, colleges, law schools, PhDs. I mean, we do it. The way you do it is you distract them, and you distract them with drugs, you distract them with guns, you make them content by providing just enough with all the different government programs and policies. You ease up on the shootings, not in the lynching, not you know, not holding anybody accountable, not valuing the person, just easing up a little bit. And so things are, quote, unquote, better. And so because they're better, then now we're not on full rampage like we were. But mm-hmm. it's an intentional derailment, intentional. Mm. Mm. 
you would think we would be hip enough at this point in the game not to fall for it. But I, I guess it goes back to like what Chief was saying with that influx of material. And, and I tell them that was an attack of this uh, imperialist capitalist system was to hit us with the materialism and consumerism. You know what I'm saying? That we So we started losing the communal value, and part of losing that communal value is losing integrity and respect for one another as, as individuals because strong individuals make strong communities. But it, 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 it is just such a travesty. And to see, and, and part of the travesty is, to me, to see that not only do we attack our contemporaries, not only do we attack, you know, our peers now, that we even have the audacity, we have gotten the arrogance. There again, this YouTube age, this age of push a button, this age of, you know, um, having easy access to information and not having to exercise the discipline to go get it back, like you said, Seven, when you and I were coming up, when you used to almost have to literally sit at the feet of the masters, so to speak. And in sitting at the feet of the masters to gain knowledge, not only did you gain information, but you gained a discipline and you gained a reverence. And what has happened now, we have so much access to this information that there is not even a reverence for our predecessors, and I think that that's going to kill us. Because let me tell you, like I had one person talking about, you know, Dr. King. I'm not the biggest Dr. King fan. Don't get me wrong. I don't agree with Dr. King's philosophy of nonviolence, resistance, what did he call it, Um, civil disobedience. I don't agree with that philosophy. I'm not a big integrationist. But I'm wise enough to know that now I have the luxury to say that because I okay. have seen, I can okay. read yeah. what, you know, I can see due to history and the books yeah. that were printed how it didn't work. Now, when I was, if I was in the mix, would I, you know, would I feel differently? I don't know. You know, when, when, you're, when you're fighting for your liberation and empowerment, you're going to use every weapon at your disposal. And if he's, if he's the man on the scene, if he's the baddest, biggest thing going on, and it seems like that he has a plan that may quite possibly work, you know, yeah, hell yeah, you know, who knows? I may have tried it, but now I can say that. But what I do have, though, is a healthy respect for anyone who has struggled in our liberation struggle, and that I don't see. So I guess my question to you and Chief is, has this knowledge, has this access to knowledge made us haunty and arrogant? Uh, Chairman, let, let, me, let, me, yeah. let me jump in Yes, sir. One, one, one thing kind of I, I want to drive home, and I got to drive this home so we don't miss the point, is as black people, because of, us not being unified and, and not having dealing with, especially here in the United States, an identity. We don't look at things from our youth growing up as to how and I, how am I going to contribute to my people. We're not taught that. Again, as a white male, they're taught to contribute to the building up of the power structure. They're, the power structure is their power structure. They have this intact. Their mentality is to contribute as a white male or white a white person to what's in place, to what makes us great, which is why the president is able to say, Donald Trump, make America great again, because he's talking about contributing to the powers that be, which is the white male. So their youth, you know, subliminally and overtly are taught 
to contribute to the greatness that you are. Black people are not taught that. So we don't automatically, if we have to force it upon ourselves as we grow old and become quote-unquote conscious. But to, to the white people, they don't have to become conscious to the fact of let me contribute to the greatness or to the well-being of what I can, of, of, of the society. So therefore, it's already ingrained in them to have a level of greatness and to bring to bring to their system. But we don't look at this system as obviously being ours. We don't look at our people as a collective. So therefore, I youth are not taught to contribute. That's why we are so good and big on being con- consumers. Going back to what Sister Seven said, was talking about the twerking and the big bucks and this and that. Again, that's still part of consumerism. We're taught self-identity. We're stuck on dealing with self and trying to make myself shine and look good because I can't, I'm not taught consciously and subconsciously to contribute to my race, to contribute to the well-being and the advancement of black people. We don't look at ourselves that way. And, and, and they continually bombard us with inferiority as well as propping up a quote-unquote concept of a black leader. See, when you do that, the mentality is an individual again. And even going back to talking about people, blacks that have contributed, you know, and done great things, they're still portrayed as black individuals, not black wow. of contributing to the black, the black power struggle struggle of black people in, in general, it's always such and such was a black inventor. Such and such was this. You don't hear white people saying was a white inventor. They don't distinguish yeah. their race. <laughs> Why? Because, right. again, right. they are contributing. Their, their children are taught to contribute to the greatness that we are because they're speaking from a power mm. structure. We don't speak from power structure. We don't speak from being uh, empowered. That's why when we refer back to great kingdoms, we stay in that zone. That's another form of victimization because I got to find something that at one point in time I was great at, and I'm just going to ride that out. And my basis of, of, of wealth, of, of, self, of, of self-preservation even, whether it be con, you know, sub, dealing with subconscious or guiding my self-worth, is basically being able to regurgitate and talk to you about all of the different various things that black people have done. So by me knowing this and by me relating, correlating myself with this, I can make myself as an individual appear greater than you because you don't even know your quote-unquote history. But, Uh again, that is completely separate from saying, what am I going to contribute to black people? We don't operate from the position of empowerment. Empowerment says, what are you going to contribute to to, to your people, to your society? Without being having to be taught that uh, in the foreground, it's it's just accept, it's just expected of youth. We don't have that level of expectation as a youth, and I'm, uh, that's all I can say right now. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, absolutely. I man, absolutely. Seven, did you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I was just going to say that the fight is different now. Okay. Fighting now, people look at it as a choice. I'm going to choose to be involved. I'm going to choose to, you know, be part of this organization or that organization. I'm going to choose to live this lifestyle and everything else like that. Um, The fight then was for their life, 
okay? Mm-hmm. Because just being African-American meant that you were in jeopardy of losing your life for walking down the street, for looking at people the wrong way, for, for being, you know, just who you are as a person. And so the fight then was, you know, intense. It was direct. You know, we could see clearly where the problem was, where now the, the problem has become diluted and we've become content where we are, and so there's not a whole lot of fight. You know, we got the pacifier. We got the itis. You know, we just got finished eating a nice big meal. Um, mm-hmm. Ain't nobody trying to go out to no meetings late at night. You know, oh, I got to work and do this, you know. And so the the whole vibe on it is is very secondary, third, and if you live in the right neighborhoods, they don't acknowledge it at all, you know. Yeah. And so we have to move to the urgent part because really there is an urgency even if you don't see it with your eyes the urgency is real because Mm -hmm. they are becoming more and more emboldened with their tactics as far as what they're willing to do and how far they're willing to go so we have to really create more urgency and understand you know the fight may be different but we're still in the fight we're still actively fighting well, you know what? I like what Chief Wall was saying, too, about that. When he was talking about what you had said about the twerking and materialism is also and sometimes can be synonymous with individualism. I think that that has been the biggest thing. When he was talking about how white people, they don't say white inventors. They say inventor because they're taught culturally, they're taught to contribute to their race. It's just it's an unspoken rule. They don't even have to say that you. it's just what they do. And I think that what has started to be, um, what has now become, and I'm not even going to say the new philosophy of us because it's been in the mix for years, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, is this individualism. So, you know, we, we embrace individualism so we don't get lumped. That's part of the nigger syndrome. So we don't get lumped into the, the nigger syndrome. So our contributions aren't for our people, but our contributions a lot of times and I hope this isn't the case with a lot of black inventors, but I think a lot of times our contributions is to say, hey, look, boss, you know, I'm not like them niggas. I'm, 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 I'm what the boys call them. I'm the talented tenth. You know what I'm saying? I'm a special Negro. You know, I'm not like the rest of these niggas. I can contribute to your society. It ain't even like, and so we get labeled as black inventors, the inventor aspect being the acceptance in their society and the black being to always remember your place. Let's go to our phone lines real quick, though, because I see we got, you know, uh, someone holding on. But I thought that was interesting that he had said that. Absolutely. Area code 404-9086. Your mic is open. Uh, Black Power, huh? Black Power, nephew. What's going on, brother? Uh, How you doing, man? Man, I'm good, man. We're sitting there having this conversation on this nigger syndrome and the need for revolution. Why we feel like it's imperative to tear one another down, to do the silly stuff we do when we're living in probably out of all the history of the time, maybe we're not in the best economic as a group, but individually as black people, some of us are in the best position we've been in since being brought to the shores of America, knowledge-wise. Uh-huh. We're probably we're probably the most educated generation out of black Africans being here uh, since being brought to the shores of North America. So with all of these technological advancements, all of these material um, uh, accumulations and things that we've done, and even some of our achievements, why are we exhibiting some of the worst nigger syndromes or some of the worst symptoms of niggerism that ha- is, has ever been in black history? 
I'm going to go, I'm going to go slow mo. I'm going to take it down to slow mo for just a second. Uh, you got, you got a lot of, you got a lot of brothers. You know what I'm saying? They feel exactly, they feel like they all right. They do. Cause guess yeah. what? They look at, they look at all the black power and they, and they, they look at what we doing. They look at roots. They look at all these other things. They look at Goldie. They put all this stuff together and see what they do is they feel like we we doing okay because it look it get, it gets worse and, and and as far as the as far as the technological advances I'm I'm gonna give you a real story okay uh behind enemy lines uh when I when I first got to this compound they was the police the cert team that's like the extra big police they wear jackets tasers and and they beat you up when I first got to compound. The first thing they do when you get on the bus, okay, they tell you, when y'all get here, submit. That's what they tell you. They say, when you get here, they're looking to see who the hell they can slap the hell out of. Like, what? Like, what? It's like, yeah, when mm. you get there, they're looking to see. They're finna try somebody. They're finna try to break somebody's neck, whatever, however it goes. So, this, mm. and this was true. This is true. This is what they do. And uh, I had a run-in with them because they was, they was jumping on somebody right beside me. They mobbed up on me four, five deep. You know what I'm saying? Of course, the matches, you know, you know how that goes. You're only coming in about mm-hmm. 14 at a time. and You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, it was like that. Now, this went on for about a year and a half um, until about the middle of 15. And this is how they ended it. Um you got a regional director. She come. She come to the compound. Somebody take their cell phone. They didn't record it. Now, these police so wild that they jump on other police. That's how crazy they is. Like, when they come around, like, it's serious. Because they, 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 they looking for it. But guess what? They all black. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, let me tell you something. Nigga syndrome is not just... Uh, is not just to the, the unemployed or to the you brothers and sisters, to the brothers and sisters behind enemy lines. I'm talking about anybody that's black African in America and is black skin that exhibits that type of behavior, and they will turn on one another. You know, but, 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 but that's, that's the whole point of this thing. Together. But let me tell you how brothers came together, though. Because, uh, and I said that, and I say this to reiterate the point that they feel like it really can't get no worse. It was getting so bad the way you couldn't even walk around here. It was getting so bad that they sacrificed a cell phone to show the regional director what was going on down here. And it was so bad, the regional director gave the phone back. They didn't even confiscate the phone, man. That's how bad it was down here. But brothers had to come together and sacrifice because it was like, man, a Somebody might get in a fight, man, and you might not, you might beat one, you might not see him again. You can't catch up with him. They done transferred him to your own somewhere else. A new camp every shipping day. You know what I'm saying? So I think some people, it's not hitting close enough to home for them because, like you said, they don't feel like they black. They like, oh, that's happening to black people. I'm Dominican. Oh, look how they're doing black people. I'm Nigerian. Look how they're doing black people. Mm-hmm. I'm but, Indian. I'm mixed. Right. But, but you know what? I can't, I'm going to be honest. 
Let me play devil's advocate here. Let me play devil's advocate. And I know there again, you know, I'm always the one, like, I, you know, my disclaimer, I'll play devil's advocate. Sometimes I even enjoy it. But can you blame <laughs> them? If you, <laughs> if you were a foreigner from a place, Jamaican, Trinidadian, Dominican Republic, whatever, if you're a foreigner coming from a place that nationalism is just as natural as breathing, you know, you know you're Jamaican, you know to look out for Jamaicans and everything, and you come here with some disorganized, unruly, uh, backstabbing, vulture type of niggas, would you want to incorporate their struggle into your way of life? Would you really want to, wouldn't you two want to separate me? Like, look, I, look, Mr. Master or whoever oppressive forces, I'm not one of them because they don't even seem to have their thing together. How do I know that if my people don't link up with them, that they won't betray us? Hell, they betray one another. I mean, can we really blame them? Well, you know, it comes to the, I mean, it comes down to the, to the fact that, you know, when uh when the masses, because we can't say you, me, or however. That's right. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Because cause we're Correct. doing what we can. You know, but when the masses, Correct. when they come to a point to where they like, okay, this is what we got to do because everybody watching us. As far as prison, people here, they know who I am. So it's certain things that I cannot do. Because everybody watching me, they know what I stand for. They know who I am. They know who I'm connected to. And for the most part, you know what I'm saying, it, it draws people in of all ages. And honestly, um, I, uh, it's the old school who bucking. You know what I'm saying? It's the old school who bucking. These young, these young brothers, man, they know they belong to something. They, they understand, you know what I'm saying, a lot of them, yeah, they gang members, of course. You know what I'm saying? But you know what I'm saying? They understand they understand that they belong to something bigger than because they got a they got a they got a sense of um they got a they got a they got a tribal sense. You know what I'm saying? It's it's instinctual. You know what I'm saying? When you say the old school that's bucking, what do you mean? As far as like I done had I done had a few uh pamphlets that I done met uh behind the wall. Uh, since I've been locked up, every last one of them, you know, they come like this and like that, and I'd be like, well, you know, we can we can make a connection because you know what I'm saying, you know, I, that, I I I believe in that if we if we standing on the same thing and and well, let's go on and make a connection. So you know, when this thing goes sideways and I'm shipped this way and you that way, we still intertwined in this thing. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? There there is no way. To get some of these older people to believe that the revolution is still alive, and that's the plainest way I can put it. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Trevor, what do you think about that? Go ahead. I go mean, ahead. I think it's real. Well, first thing I want to say, you know, behind enemy walls, keep your head up. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's important that you understand this right here because you're going to be faced with more challenges the second that you step over the other side of the wall, okay? It's a whole other set of dynamics that I know you know about. It's just so, it's real, and it can be really disheartening because you're like, man, I just left Babylon. I just left the craziness, and now, I'm, you know, this world is crazy. 
So, you know, just keep your head up, stay focused, stay plugged in and everything like that. And that's how we all get through this together, you know. But this nigga syndrome, we train each other to do this. You know what I'm saying? There's a training that comes with holding each other down. There's a training that comes from expecting poor treatment. Like uh, Chief Ward was saying, there's a training that we go through as youth and we are constantly learning how to lower ourselves and how to be inferior, and that's why we have to have these types of programmings in place, and we got to work on all levels with all people, all genders, all nationality, I mean, everyone. And, um, Brother, what you were saying about uh, the devil's advocate, I don't blame them for not wanting to be part of a sinking ship, okay? Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to be on a sinking ship. But what I'm going to tell you to do is get a bucket and start digging. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm going to tell you to plug up that <laughs> hole. You know, I give instructions really well. So you may not want to be on this sinking ship. You may not. You may not want to be anywhere in our boat. The other boat might be faster, newer, shinier, whatever it is. But this one right here, this is the boat you have ownership to. Okay, you have rights over here. You have a place over here. And that's why I need you to get this bucket, okay? We got enough problems going on. I don't need to have to be over and explaining to you that you belong here. So whether you're more Hebrew Israelite, I'm going to give you a bucket, and I'm going to say, let's go. We got bigger fish to fry right now. We have other issues as to stopping to, you know, separating ourselves, you know, stop with the low thinking. I mean, for some people, I got something to stop with the high thinking. You know, we have to really get together <laughs> as a people and, and not be so focused on, you know, the individual parts because this boat that we're on is not individually set up. We're not on individual kayaks. We're on a big boat. That means everybody got to pull their share. So yeah. get a bucket. You know, I, I'm not – I don't have the ability. I can't debate you. I can't do any of that. All I can tell you is that where you're standing, if you don't get some work in, we are all going to be in a lot of trouble. And that's so. the truth of the matter. <laughs> and that's the truth of the matter. But, you, you know, I wanted to say this, and I understand what you're saying. I'm, I definitely feel the same way about those black Africans here in America that are trying to escape it and be more the chemists or whatever. But I'm talking about, you know, the foreigners that come over. Yeah. And who, who you know, it's they have a little more vested, like – if you if they do something to an African from the continent, all hell is gonna break loose because and not just a pro a, a protest in hell. Not only will these Africans from the continent protest, but there will be some economic backlash yeah. because they have an economic collective. They have economic power. You know what I'm saying? See, we'll get out there and protest, and then as soon as we here's the whole thing. You know, we'll protest. We say we're gonna boycott. We're gonna boycott Walmart, and we're gonna make some. We're gonna make some signs and stuff boycotting Walmart. But where you go right. get the poster board and the paper yes. and the markers, and you go straight to the Walmart. Uh, what yes. was it that you told me once? I think it's you and I were talking about the gas boycott. Yes. They said we're yes. gonna boycott the gas station on Saturday, so everybody yes. need to go fill up on Friday. Yes. <laughs> you know what that I'm was saying? what we were told, and I'm sitting here like. So basically, we're we're just shifting the sales from Saturday to Friday. That's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, 
and giving them an easy Saturday. They still yeah. made the money. We just yeah. gave them an easy Saturday. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's my yeah. thing. We have to take it a step further. And, you know, I do a lot of traveling. And before I go anywhere, I'm like, okay, where are my black restaurants at? Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. where are the black um, bed and breakfasts? And, you know, where are are we at? You know, how can I keep my dollar as black as possible? And I take it another step um, as female as possible. If I find a black entrepreneur, if I can find a woman entrepreneur, if I can find a black entrepreneur, that's where my money's going. Mm-hmm. And that's who I support because that's who I am. You know, we're not we're not trying to build up who we are. We're trying to build up someone else's idea of who we are. And that's what we have to get out of. I Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. It, it, that's that's where I want to spend my money. I want to spend my money with me and with things that look like me and things that support me. And so this is where we have to start to be very intentional with our spending, with our learning, with everything. You know, we have to put in, in Atlanta, we can do that. You know, there are some cities where you can do that, for real. You can intentionally spend your money. Well, this is the need for, this is where we talk about the need for uh, a revolution and going to the next level. But also, too, I wanted to address, you know, what Hakeem was saying about what he was saying uh, with the old the old heads, which I am an mm-hmm. old head now, you know, I have to tell you, I'm one of the old heads. And I, I'm gonna be honest, I probably would be like the the older brothers in there. One of the two things happen when you get to be our age, you get to be these old heads. I'm 46. Is one not only have you know you get in there with those old Panthers, not only have they went through the revolution, so they're traumatized from it. But and and no offense to you, Hawk, and to the young brothers behind enemy lines listening. But when we see you, young brothers. We don't see the future. We don't see the tenacity, the strength, nor the perseverance to continue the revolution. We see you niggas be strong against one another. Niggas will beat all Niggas will blood out. Niggas will crip out. They'll folk out their people out for some hand signs. And you know I'm an OG. I, listen, I'm an OG. I couldn't, when I was banging hard like that, I couldn't wait to get the OG status. I done made OG status. I don't even tell people I used to bang. I'm so ashamed of the gang I used to roll with because of the, the direction that it has taken. So as an old head, it's like, okay, you want me to get back in the revolution, and you Negroes are what's going to keep and further the revolution, but you guys are very steeped in materialism, which at this case I'm using synonymous with individualism. If it doesn't serve your individual need or pique your individual interest, will you sell the group out or will you not participate? How many times in there have you seen Negroes who don't get their way shit sink the whole damn ship? That's right. It doesn't seem like that there's a code of conduct anymore. And us old head revolutionaries, really, I'm in it because I don't have a choice. Like I tell the old heads, shit, this is what you this is what you're working with. Like it or not, that's the next generation. So you might as well get in the struggle, get in the fight, begin to educate the people um, and educate these young brothers to continue to fight because that's all we got, young brothers and sisters, because that's all we got. But I can understand their hesitancy. I can understand their reserve. One of the things, though, to talk about, to go back briefly, and I see you, Carla, we will get to you, what Seven was saying about, you know, spending black, that's the first step of it. But here's the need for the revolution. Black is no longer sufficient. Black is no longer sufficient. And I realized that moving to Atlanta, 
This is where that neo-colonialism comes in. You have black faces in white places. These Negroes practice white supremacy better than white people themselves. They are enforcers and upholders of white supremacy better than the inventors of white supremacy. And it's a travesty. It's a damn shame. It's a crying freaking shame. But you will find them doing that. So we have to ask this, what does this, this is why we want to get rid of the nigger syndrome. Because what does black African here in America mean? And how can we make it have some substance? How can we make it to actually where our allies will want to uh, align with us and our enemies think twice before um, coming at us any kind of way? Let's go to the phone lines real quick. Area code 706-0890. Your mic is open. Black Power, my brother. Black Power, brother. Brother Robert calling from behind enemy lines, man. Man, what's going on, brother Robert? What's the business, man? What area code is it? What's going on, man? Boy, y'all brothers in there. I thought this was out of state. (laughs) No, this ain't easy. This is almost sick. What's the business, brother, man? Share share your thoughts on some of this. Not much, man. Just wanted to touch on um, what Chairman Hakeem was saying about the uh, you know, the old school cat man, you know, and and a lot of and a and a lot of truth, you know. That's that's why we losing our youth, cause you know a lot of, cause I'm getting into the old school era myself, so you know a lot of us we we wiping our hands off our youth because we get impatient with them. You know, we sit down with them once or twice and we expect them to get it on those one or two sessions. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it was a young brother came in here a little while ago, um, ended up oppressing one of our, you know, elders. And, you know, I had to turn him around and, you know, straighten him out and sit him down and make him take the shit back and scream my friend, you know, take stuff back and, you know, just let them know, you know, about our, about us and, and what we do, what we stand for. And, you know, he feel it, but, you know, he need constant drilling. And, you know, if we so quick to, you know, and I'm just really, you know, speaking on myself because before I got behind these walls, you know, I was scared of them young cats because of their disloyalty, you know, because they don't care, you know, about, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, this man fed me today. But tomorrow, if you don't feed me, I'm gonna bite his arm off. You know, so I was scared of him. So you know, it 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 made me feel like, you know, I'm really wrong because, you know, it's us who have to guide them. You know, it's us that's got to lead them. It's us that's got to school them. See, my big homies made yes, me go to school. You know, they drove mm-hmm. me into the school. So all I wanted to yes, do sir. was hang around with them, hold their guns, and, and, and go do dumb shit. But you know, they wanted me to go to school. They not only did they want me to, they made me. You know, I would hide and all kind of stuff. It's just cool. I'm hiding behind a building to make sure I miss the bus, and they gotta now walk me to school. You know, because they go, they made sure so they they didn't get tired of me. They didn't wipe their hands off me. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I I feel like we we gotta hold on to them stronger. You know, we gotta get more involved with them instead of just you know wiping our hands off so quick because we told them two three times and. We took them with us and let them see how we move, how we roll, how we do things. And, yeah, you know, we felt, okay, all right, now I showed it to you. You got it? Get it? Good. All right, but it's not like that. We got to, you know, con- consistently, you know, touch bases with our young brothers. We got to consistently, you know, check in with them, get involved with them, you know, 
questions or talk to them, yeah. you know, let them get stuff off their chest, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I could Absolutely. agree, you know what I'm saying, with uh, Chairman Hakeem on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can agree with you. You know, listen, the nigga syndrome works both ways. That is also a part of nigga syndrome, that whole giving up. That's why I was telling you, know, I had to tell these old heads, listen, like it or not, you know, like I said, man, a lot of times I want to give up, I'd be like, ah, oh, but that is all we have. And until we instill in, in our young people, in the next generation coming up after us, their responsibility and obligation to the race, then they'll never get it. We can't give up because despite however we feel, we can practice materialism. We can practice consumerism, which, which simply means buying shit. Let me go on and break that down. Well, we use a lot of political terms on here, and that's my intention is to do that because I don't think you can advance forward politically without understanding these words and things that these Caucasians are throwing right. around us. So, right. You know, right. consumerism and materialism, but to break it down, that just simply means the accumulation, the buying of shit, just buying a lot of shit. So, I, you know, we get called into that, and we get called into the end. So we get comfortable when we got a few things, and that leads to the bigger practice of individualism. I got mine, let me get to yours. I can go in my nice crib. I can watch my nice television. I got my nice sneakers. I got a nice car. I got a fat booty girl. I'm good. Got something to puff on, something in the refrigerator. Yo, I'm good. And we divorce ourselves from the responsibility and accountability of race when here's the problem with that, what I tell them. The problem with the nigger syndrome is you can divorce yourself from the accountability and responsibility of race, but you will never be divorced by your oppressor from the penalties of your race. You will always be in danger of being penalized for being black, even if you don't want to be black. You can imagine, you can buy all the white man's stuff in the world, you can even buy some, look at Sammy Sosa with his ignorant ass. I don't know if y'all know who Sammy Sosa is. <laughs> oh, we know Sammy. It's ridiculous. They too young to know about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, let me use somebody that's old enough that they will. He, Sammy, Soda, Sammy Sosa went through the, is going through the Michael Jackson phase. Yeah. Those of you that remember Michael Jackson, I call him Big Nose Michael, when Michael was black. And how Michael ended up being a white. Sammy Sosa did the white thing. He looks so phony. I mean, it, it, it doesn't even look real how he has bleached his skin. But he still would not be divorced from uh, penalties of being a melanated person or a black person or a nigger. You know what I'm saying? So until we embrace that, until we say, you know what, this is who we are. This is how we perceived. I don't care how... See, to me, when I say the need for revolution, revolution means complete and constructive change. And the first revolution has to be the mental revolution. It has to be we have to change our thinking. If it isn't advantageous, not just to me. If it isn't beneficial, not just to me. If it isn't good, not just for me, but to the whole group, then I need to reevaluate that thought process. Bottom, bottom line. I have to reevaluate that thought process. And, and, and in order to do that, we must define what is good for the group. And so when we define what is good for the group, then someone in black skin can't just come along and get over on us because we will see that their actions are not beneficial for the group. Then we do what must be done to that thing that is bringing detriment and harm to the larger group. Okay. This is the need for revolution. 
This is why we have to begin to shake this nigger syndrome. But in order to begin to shake a nigger syndrome, they tell me it's like an addiction. In order to deal with addiction, you must first acknowledge that you have a problem. So let me start here. Hi, my name is Yanga, and I'm a nigger. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, we got and that's real. That's big fat. You feel me, Lieutenant? That It, 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 it is yes, what sir. it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was my it problem. I had to admit that something was broken in me so I could fix it. You know what I'm saying? And, wow. you know, this right here wow. was my time to fix it. And, you know what I'm saying? I done right. fixed it. You know, I'm out of here in June. Next Wednesday, I walk the stage and see my degree in business management. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I fixed the problems. You know, I, I killed that self-hate. And, you know, it was here that I learned that I hated myself. And I was like, how in the hell can or do I hate myself? But that was my problem. That was my failure. That's what led me to just fail, you know, with the things that I was doing. And I'm saying that I was failing because I was failing. I wasn't successful in them. You know what I'm saying? Me hating myself. And I had no idea. I could do that, for one. Then I didn't know that I was doing it. So once I fixed that, I was able to open my entire head and receive more than just that that nigga syndrome, because that's what I had in me. You know, I, I, I didn't I didn't understand that I'm supposed to really be there for this man that I say I don't like. And I don't even know why I don't like him, but I'm saying I don't like him. That was my biggest problem. And I was able to turn that around, you know, only because I wanted to turn it around because I know I needed to turn it around. And, you know, once I touch, I'm just really, you know, I'm linking up with you, Chairman. And, you know, I want to do some good things for my people because I done heard them for so long. It's time for me to straighten up and give back, and I'm willing to give back. I've opened my mind to understand that that's what I'm supposed to do. Waiting for my people right to give on. back, and you know, I'm ready, man. I'm ready. Right on. Well, what you know, what share with us? What was the first eye opener for you that you realized you suffer from nigger syndrome? What was the first thing? I know you said when you went in there, but what significant event? What happened that you were like, damn, you know what? I'm a nigger. And this is not good for me. What 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 opened your eyes? Me getting shot six times. You know what I'm saying? And oh, yeah, I wouldn't do it. That would that, do it. That that that, that I it. wouldn't do the things that led me to get shot again. But me, let me you know, ask trying you to get employed. Let me ask you this, brother, uh, Lieutenant. Six times at one time, or six times in different occasions. No, it was six times, one time. You know, some young guys, man, 16, uh, 17, and 19, came to rob me, you know, and, you know, they came for blood. Not just my, my goods and my possessions, but, you know, they came for blood because they didn't talk. They didn't make any demands. They automatically started squeezing on me. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I exchanged fire back, and that's what saved my life. And, you know, I got a tattoo on my arm that, you know, uh, the 38 saved my life. Just, you know, in a sense of had I not went back and grabbed that gun off that bed and opened that door with that firearm, you know, I would have been dead. And, you know, at the time I had four kids. So I'm like, these wow. guys trying to kill kill me. These guys are trying to take me from my family. So, you know, uh, yeah. when I told myself that I wouldn't get back in that trap and I wouldn't, you know, I let, you know, uh, people telling me for so long, those white people that, oh, you can't work here, you can't work here, we don't have a space for you, we don't have a space for you, you know, versus me uh-huh. finding a better solution 
I used that nigga syndrome and went right back to yeah. the same thing that led me to get shot. You know, knowing that mm. this is this could possibly take me from my family. And then I just went mm. all out with it to where I I had the the people coming to my house to you know engage in transactions. So you know I was I was going out super bad, man. And had I not got sat down, I probably would have got shot again or end up killing somebody. And it'll be different, all because I had that nigger system just deeply embedded in me, you know. Because I didn't, I never knew a brother like you, you know. I, yeah. I I had a guy who who I used to date his niece, and he was he's a black company. He used to always tell me, "Yo, man, you I I see your brain. I see your I see you. You need to come and let me bring you to some of the me. You need to be a counselor." And I was like, "No, nah, I'm crippling right now." You know, that mm-hmm. was me being stuck in my nigger syndrome. But that that elder, that that old that old head, he seen something in me that I just didn't know I had in me. And you know, mm-hmm. I, I I never just had a, a, a man to help me understand it like you've helped me understand it over the you know uh, years and change that I have been. You know, uh, coming to these meetings and talking to your nephew and talking to you personally. You know, I mm-hmm. just I, I I never had anybody to lay it on me like that, and it makes so much sense. You know, it it, it makes so much sense. So, well, why wouldn't you? Is, is is the question I ask myself. You know, landing in my cot one night. Why wouldn't you want to do something for for those people you've hurt and all the dumb shit you done done? Why wouldn't you want to correct that with the knowledge you know now? You're educated. You you, you eat different. You walk different. You talk different. You breathe different. You know. I mean, you got a whole, whole lot, a lot of goals. So, you know, it just really changed me around, man. Man, right on, right on. Well, that's a, that's a blessing, and that's great to hear. Seven, I thought you were trying to say something, and I, I believe I jumped in there when you were talking. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, you know, um, one thing that uh, he was saying is that we have to stop giving up on our young people and old people. We have to stop giving up on each other, you know. we No one was born at this level of, of awareness, okay. All of this has been a journey for everyone. And, and some people, you know, they woke up early and some people woke up late, but it doesn't matter. So we have to stop throwing people away because people don't fit our immediate plan. Um, I, I do a radio program, and yesterday we were talking about the seed, planting the seed. And so... This man met a panther years ago who planted a seed inside him and said, look, think about this, you know, not not to pressure you, but just think about this. I see more in you. And over the years, it's taken this long for it to grow, but it's grown and it's strong, it's rooted strong. So we can't give up on people. We can't look at people at face value. See, this is part of that nigga syndrome. You know, we have to get out of the us versus them. We're all us. It's all us. We're all family. We're all connected. We're all responsible for our, we, we get all the benefits from the good and we get the, the consequences from the bad. So we have to take this personal. It's not a matter of, oh, I'm going to let them over there be stupid on their own and everything. No, you better go over there and educate them. And I do. And it irritates me sometimes. I go, little mama, you can't be like that. You cannot dress like that. You can, you know, and I, I really try to do it from a place of love and of education 
you know, because I have sisters, and I have sorority sisters, and I have God children that are females, and so I can't go on this war and this rampage against them and against women. I have to understand and be compassionate with them and understand that that is me. You know, when when situations come up, when some dude is manhandling her, he's not just manhandling her, he's manhandling me. I got to take their challenges personal. So, you know, I like that idea of not giving up on people. We don't have the option to give up. There ain't no extra people. It's just Uh, us. Absolutely. But, you know, part of I think the biggest thing of the nigger syndrome to me is we go back again is is that individualism is that sense that we are disconnected from everything, that it is just all about that our world just contains us and it's just about us and the people we invite in our world and that we're isolated from everything else, meaning that whatever happens around us doesn't affect us. You know, we we don't get, and that's the part of nigger syndrome. Even, you know, like like Lieutenant was talking about, you know, um, is crippling. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I'm OG. You know, I grew up crippling. That's my thing there. But even how that became individualistic, you know, when the, the seeing crippling meant community. And I would even take it so far, and I hope that the OGs, the double OGs, big, well, shit, I'm damn near triple OG, so shit, I'm going to take the right to say that, that even go so far as the C means communalism and collectivism. See, I don't particularly care. If the brothers are in a so-called gang, I call them tribes, if the brothers are in a tribe. But what is the function of the tribe? If the function of that tribe is not for the edification and the upliftment of the black race, which they initially started out as, if I'm not mistaken, I believe bloods is brotherly love, overcoming oppression and destructive in society or something to that nature. If it if it isn't... Um, Going back to what it initially started as, which is for the advancement, the upliftment, the maintenance and defense of the black race, then even that good concept will sink into a nigger concept. And then you just have, you don't have a tribe anymore, or you don't have, or you literally have a gang, which a gang ain't nothing but a group of individuals being self-serving. That's why you got niggers crossing niggers. One of the things is implementing a the need for revolution, the need for revolution, the need for revolution to get rid of the nigger syndrome is because the key to getting rid of the nigger syndrome, which the uh, component, the primary component in the nigger syndrome is individualism, the key to getting rid of that is creating programs, groups, institutions, and all that we do that empower the collective. We must begin to understand that it is a collective endeavor. Until we embrace that fact, we will always be lost. And and, and understanding what collective endeavor means. I think so much of our gangbanging, of our religious life, even these people get in cults that give the misconception, the misunderstanding of what collectivism is or what communalism is. We believe, we begin to believe based on religions and other things, that collectivism or communalism means we all must think alike. We all must uh, act alike or dress alike or behave alike. And that isn't it. 
We can all have our differences and celebrate our differences. The black African here in America is a diverse people, and I love our diversity. This is how all the greatness comes out of us, because we are diverse. This is how we invent some of the most magnificent things that the world, that the universe has ever seen based on these diversities. But collectivism simply says to be redundant and and to be repetitious, to repeat what I said before, means to put the need of the group and what advances the group over the individual. And we see that. We see other nationalities do it. Look, let's use a prime example. Um, And and I'll use again when we talk about this white man. I know we're always talking about the white man, but I always use him because this is the closest we've been to any other ethnicity outside of black people. We may know uh, Asians and we may know Hispanics, but we don't know no other people like we know this white man. We don't know no other people like we know him. And so I use him. Hell, I'm like, and I use him for another reason, too. If this savage can do it, ain't no way in the hell the civilized man and woman can't do it. But prime example of collectivism from this European. He has, he understands the need for, he, they don't all try to assimilate one another. They have diversity within themselves. But they have a common goal. That common goal right now being, um, they call it America. I'm not even going to call it America because I was born in America, so that makes me an American. So I'm not going to call it America. I'm going to call it a white supremacist movement. I'm going to call a spade a spade or a cracker a cracker. How about that? And, and it's a white supremacist movement. They understand in order to stay on top that that must be the primary goal of all that they do. So even in their disagreements, Look at that Congress. Look at the House, the Senate. I'm sitting here, look, a great thing on Netflix for the brothers behind enemy lines and other people. If you ever take time and, and y'all got Netflix, I'm going to y'all got everything in there. Shit, we all on the phone now. <laughs> if, you, if you have Netflix, <laughs> check out the, the untold story of the history of America, and you will find these Caucasians or something else. They are tricksters, they're devils, they're liars, they're killers in mass numbers. I mean, from World War I to Vietnam to now. But the one thing, and they fight like you wouldn't believe in their Congress. But one thing that their fight is always about is to maintain a white supremacy globally, to maintain white supremacy or European supremacy globally, even to the point of after the so-called Cold War, one of, Dick Cheney said this. He said when um, um, during the Iraq War and all of that, when France and I forget what other European country didn't support America in their in their illegal war against uh, uh, Iraq, that Dick Cheney even said this. Oh, that's the old Europe. We don't even consider them to be part of the new Europe no more. They so tough in their white supreme and practicing global white supremacy that if a European country that on the map, ge- ge- geographically, <laughs> geographically, is Europe. Since it didn't support them ideologically, they said they're not even European. Listen to what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters. Hey. Ge- geographically, they are in Europe. But since they didn't share a European supremacist ideology, belief, and philosophy, the, the European supremacists, said that they don't even consider them European. They don't care if they live in Europe. 
You see what I'm saying? So we have to stand that. Isn't that wild, brother? Isn't that wild? So our thing is we don't all have to be in this cult-like understanding. We dress alike. We talk alike. We eat the same foods. We worship the same God. We do whatever. But our primary goal must be that of the advancement and empowerment of an African people. This is the need of revolution. And the only way to achieve that is to die to the nigga because the only way the nigga survives is through individual. There can never be a group of niggas. Even, I mean, there could be a group of niggas, but there will never be an organization of niggas. You only have a group of niggas, which just means you have a whole bunch of individuals together. That's a group of niggas. whole bunch of individual-minded people that are hanging out at one time, and anything can happen in a group of niggas. Why do you think niggas be hanging out, get drunk, and kill each other? Because all of them are thinking individualistically. It's all about self-service. But, but in an organization of melanated people, who put, and I say melanated because we'll have somebody on the line, I ain't African, I'm a more, and all this other uh, semantics and bullshit. You know what I'm saying? But in a group of melanated people who understand that they are intentionally being discriminated against, willfully being hindered, deliberately being stopped from natural advancement, they will begin to put the advancement of the group first, even if they worship different gods, wear different clothes, or eat different foods. They will still put the advancement of that group together. You don't believe it? I've, like I said, I've, I, you know, lived in Cleveland. And Seven and I was talking about this. This is what I'm talking about. Spanish-speaking people. You can take some Spanish-speaking people, an El Salvadorian, a Mexican, and a Puerto Rican, and put them in a room of 20 Negroes. They will come together work together collectively to begin to maneuver for what is the best interest of them Spanish-speaking people, and they're from three different geographical locations. But they will understand the necessity to work together for their survival, and not just survival, but to begin to eventually thrive. So not just surviving, but thriving. The nigga is all about survival. That's all the nigga mentality is about surviving. Nigga want to survive. Just trying to survive, my nigga. But when will we begin to advance the revolution? The revolution is about building. That's why we say the revolution is complete and constructive change. The revolution is not just surviving and, and, and fallout and not just surviving hard times and not just surviving intentional suppression, repression, or oppression. But the revolution is about advancing and about thriving and about rebuilding and about having something that is that will ensure a uh, and guarantee a better standard of living for those people who practice in uh, um, self-determination and progression. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're talking about, you know, this, what is in this nigga syndrome, what we need to do to come out of it. And one of the big things I think we have to do is we have to recreate self-worth. A lot of what we're doing and seeing um, is people reacting to poor self-worth. They don't value themselves. They don't value their life. They don't value the next life. And so when you have a group of people that don't value themselves individually or collectively, then you find all the, the nigga stuff. You know, this is when we intentionally start to tear each other up. This is when we tear up and riot in our communities. 
I've never understood that. You know, you mad, and we're writing in our communities. We're tearing down the only store. You know, we only get corner store. Corner store don't even have fresh food or nothing, but we're going to tear that down. And so, you know, that's because we need to re-understand self-worth and self-value in our community as a whole. You know, there may be pockets of this and pockets of that, and I think that's another reason why people try so hard to be something else. You know, they're like, ooh, these Egyptians, they, were, they had kings and queens. I want to have my value added to that value. And so a lot of times people are looking for a place where they can see value in a face that looks like theirs. They want to see, you know, they want to be uplifted. You know, this is, I'm not part of the nation of Islam, but a big part of their success is that they elevate their people off the rip. They let you know, look, I'm going to tell you about your self-worth. This is what your self-worth looks like. This is what you need to be doing. And they 100% invest in their greatest commodity, which is the people themselves. And so we have to begin to create models where we are building and educating and retraining. And it's a retraining because we've already been trained once. We've been trained to tear ourselves down, to tear our communities down, to tear our leaders down, to be disrespectful to our elders. We've already been trained in to do these things. We have to be retrained on the correct way to handle these situations so we can, because you're not going to be a man and a nigga at the same time. That's a contradiction that doesn't exist. Either you're a nigga or you're a man, you know, and that's, that's it. And when you make a decision, you know what, I'm ready to be a man. I'm ready to be a man of my community. I'm ready to be a man of purpose and of direction. You can't do nigga ways wanting to be this man. That's going to be a direct conflict. The second you decide you want to stand up and be a mother of your community, you're not going to be no hoe. You're not going to do hoish things. You know, there's certain behaviors that you're automatically going to take away because you're like, I don't want to be a contradiction, and the contradiction is splitting me. You know what I'm saying? Half the people, mm-hmm. half the people I know know that I'm up about that nonsense, and the other half, you know, wait for me to drop something deep. It doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. You have to be fully committed into your own evolution, knowing that your evolution directly benefits the community's evolution. Mm-hmm. You know what? I like what you said, though, about that. You know, and, and I always talk about two objects can't occupy the same place at the same time. You know, you can't be a nigga and a man. But I think that, and this is why we call it, and there again, let me give out the call signs. You listen to the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination. And, 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 and this is why we say that for, we're the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination, because not only are we black nationalists, we're self-determinists. We are self-determinists. And part of self-determination, Kuja Khalil, you know, as far as the Nguza Saba is concerned. Kunja Khalil, which is self-determination, says that self-determination is you have the right to defy yourself. And I think that we don't defy manhood. So since we haven't defined manhood, and since we feel like we can't live up, and since being a black man, standing up and being a black man, you were penalized at one point in time. And I think that the genetic memory of that has been you know, the genetic memory of what has happened to brothers who have stood up and women who have stood up to say this is adulthood, manhood, or womanhood, 
is so innate in us, has been beat in us, the penalties have is in our genetic memory so bad that before we say we're a man, you know what brothers are holler out they are um seven? A real nigga. I'm a real nigga. I'm a real nigga. You're fucking with a real nigga now. We'd rather be a real nigga than be an adult man. And I think a lot of that is, like I said, because of the penalties of stepping up to be manhood, the has been beat into our genetic memory that subconsciously we shy away from that. And we'd rather be something that is of no benefit to anything, not even to ourselves. The only thing a real nigga is a benefit to is the prison industrial complex right. where they get paid off real niggas. Right. Because believe me, there's some real niggas in there. And if I could take those real niggas and flip them real niggas into real men, then we could begin to transform and shape society in, in such a manner that the black people would begin to start to make some headway. But first, we have to all agree on that the concept of manhood is given to us by the European, by this oppressor, is not the concept that works for us. This is why we find ourselves in the effort to achieve manhood. We find ourselves doing nigga shit. Excuse my language, but it's the truth. And they say that's a the man, truth. you know, right. they, that's the truth. The man, they will tell us a man provide for his family. See, this is why we can't go on the European concept. And I was telling somebody this one time before. Because the European, if you go on the European concept of manhood, you, you would never make it. Because he tells you a man provides for his family, then he don't hire you. You see what I'm saying? A man protects his family, but you can't own a gun, or if you step up, your ass will get murdered. Or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Or what they defy as, as, as protection. I'm not saying don't protect your family, but I'm just saying there's penalties to protect them in certain ways that they would defy as. You can't legally go get a firearm, especially a lot of us black people who have been to prison hell. Being locked up is almost a rite of passage in the black community now. So a lot of us have just blown those chances of owning firearms legitimately. So the standards of manhood, they intentionally keep you from, so you're feeling inadequate. But in order to try to achieve that standard, we do nigga shit. We sell dope. Because a man supposed to take care of his. We'll carry illegal firearms and bust at somebody for, you know, looking sideways at our woman. You know what I'm saying? Because a man supposed to protect instead of learning conflict resolution, anger management, and ways to save from murdering someone and placing ourselves in situations, like you said, Lieutenant Robert, where we're taking away from the family. So manhood since we can achieve this European standard of manhood, we've come up with a lesser version and call it real nigga shit. And we have to begin to redefine what manhood means in the African, in the black African community here in America for us. The way for us, the very beginning of revolution is self-determination. I'm not knocking my brothers and sisters, my comrades in other formations who take a very paramilitary approach to things, and they look, they look nifty. They look very awesome, marching with their guns and, you know, with their uniforms. It's, it's awesome. But it's all for show and parade. If you haven't changed your mental faculties, if you're not fighting for ways to be a self-determinist, to ways to be self-sufficient, if you're not fighting 
ways to redefine how you have been defined by your oppressor, then it's all for naught. You're just a carbon copy, a, car, a carbon copy, tell me out here, carbon yeah, yeah. copy, <laughs> okay, a carbon copy of your oppressor. And the problem with being a carbon copy is, as we all know, nobody likes a generic. If I gave you an opportunity between a Czech Cola and a Coca-Cola, every day you would choose the Coca-Cola. Nobody likes the generic. We don't even like the generic, yet we find ourselves being generic white people. The revolution is imperative, but before the revolution can start, we must start to end the nigger syndrome. We have to end it. And this is a challenge to everyone within earshot of my voice to take a realistic self-inventory. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to really do the hard digging. And start to look at it at you, uh, start to look within yourself and identify the things that have us practicing niggerism. And I'm not saying that we will be able to shake it overnight because it wasn't it didn't come upon us overnight. It was a process and it is a it is still a process to keep us in that nigger mentality. But the first step is recognizing it. And once we recognize it, then it's begin to do things to change it. And let me say this. You can't change it individually. The individual is part of the nigger mentality. See, individualism is a European, uh, that rugged individualism, that maverick, that lone ranger type of thing is a European trait. Capitalism is about, is about individualism. I get mine, you get yours, I'm going to get all I can, even if that means you don't have anything. That's a European trait. And when black people, who can never be white people, practice European traits, it only makes them niggas. So when we recognize the nigger in us, then we must begin to get with other people who recognize the nigger in them and create like the People's Black Panther Party who has, has recognized the niggas in them and have some of us have you know all of us are working to change it and some of us have gotten rid of a lot of nigger ways and still are working to get rid of more but begin to create programs and get into programs that will help us to identify expose and extract the that that nigger out of us but it's a work because the nigger is lazy the nigger doesn't want to accept Accountability and responsibility. It's easier for the nigger to emulate the white man. And the nigger is such a liar and a hypocrite, he will emulate the white man and sit there and tell you he's not trying to be the white man. That's why he calls himself a nigger. He will emulate the, it's, it's the, it's the damnedest thing. The nigger will emulate the white man, will eat the white man's food, treat his woman like white people treat their women. Treat their children like white people treat their children. Do everything the white man does, but know he can't be white, and then brag on being a nigger. I'm a real nigger, though. See, saying that real nigger only means that I'm trying to be the white man, but I know I can never be him. So I will be his shadow, which is called what I have deemed and termed the real nigger. Seven, come on, jump in here. You don't let me. You know I will get to. I'm on that coffee. I am also coffee. <laughs> There's one thing I wanted to say, and I'm so yeah. glad that you gave me an opportunity, is um, we have to stop allowing 
ourselves to be put in positions where we don't think we have an option but to act like a nigga, and that's for real. You know, you have to understand that's part of the plot. You know, we're being played like a game of checkers, not even chess, you know. And so, you know, if I squeeze this man this hard, he's going to pick up this gun and he's going to do exactly what he knows he should not be doing, you know. I'm going to squeeze this woman this hard, and or, and I hate to be like this, I'm going to bribe this woman. I'm going to give her some flashy clothes, a little bit of money, and I know exactly what she's going to do when she sees this dollar, okay? And so we have to stop a lot. Part of fighting this nigga syndrome is really being able to identify those traits quickly and then say, okay, no, I'm not going to do this. And so even when things get hard and things do get hard, recession is real. I think the government is temporarily open. And so, you know, we have to really begin to understand that just because things are hard, doesn't give us an excuse to to stay in this nigga syndrome. You know what I'm saying? Our ancestors had it hard. That's hard, okay? Our stuff is inconvenient, okay? And we can't let a temporary inconvenience take us out of our character of good people. You know what I'm saying? We can't let it take us out of our character and be like, look, I had to do what I had to do. No, really you didn't, okay? No, really you didn't. And so we have to be able to stand up against some things and say, I'm not going to hit the easy button. I'm not hitting the easy button. I'm going to find out what needs to happen. I'm going to take it a step further. And for those on this line, you got to listen later. You know, you have to understand that if you were tuned into this frequency, there's a chance that you could be a leader in your particular field. There's a chance that you have a calling on you to, to do more in your community. Don't get comfortable with the minimum. Push it a little bit further. Push it for the people that don't know. You know, growing up, we had that each one teach one. You know, I think it's not each one teach three, okay, because there's a lot of us that are sleeping, and then there's some of us that are doing the childish things where we're covering our eyes saying, you can't see me. And I'm like, I can see you very well. You can't see but I can see you, you know. And so we have to get to the point where we don't allow ourselves. In, look, brothers, I see brothers and sisters, with records, find a business. Make a business, okay. We went down to New Orleans, and every every person I knew had a business, okay. Yeah. They were selling wash cold washcloths. It was hot. Cold washcloths out of a cooler, okay. And I, was, and I mm-hmm. you know, everywhere we went, Spend a dollar here, spend a dollar there. These are how people made money, and it was all good, you know, and I didn't ask no questions, and they didn't give me no hassle. So, you know, we have to begin to get creative and not allow ourselves to be in no position. We can create whatever we're looking for. So, you know, that talking about being self-determined, be determined to be the highest person that you can be regardless of this opposition because the opposition is real. The opposition is gets paid from you being on a low level. The opposition has found a way to make money off of you when you're at your worst, okay? You have to understand we're cold to their machine. Their machine is cranking. That prison industrial is real. They privatize prisons, okay? And that mm-hmm. stuff is the devil. The way that they treat our people inside, it is truly a modern-day slavery, so we have to really push ourselves and not allow ourselves to get caught up in this nigga syndrome 
And, and even when they push you, because they're going to push you, they're going to push you. They're going to irritate you. We have to find a way to be resistant on that. And for me, I'm going to show you not only can you not irritate me, I'm going to shine either way. I'm going to find a way to shine. I, I don't care who I got to talk to, who I need to collect, who I need to collaborate mm-hmm. with or whoever. You know, this is where we have to stay together, get together and stay together. You know, there ain't no extra people. We are all in this together. So what I don't have, I'm going to ask you, can you help me with this? I don't know. You know, I don't know how to do this. And so we need to start building, you know, when you talk about programs, and one of the reasons I love that idea of being self-determined is that means it's up to you to make this happen. You know, it's not up to, you know, chairman to to create X, Y, and Z. He can give you some examples, you know, give you some models. You know, he might be able to show you what worked in his life and what didn't work in his life. But you still have a responsibility to take the action. And this has to be action-oriented to get out of this nigga syndrome. You know, let me, let me jump in there, too, with the, to say this, too, because I like what you were saying. And you go back to that prison industrial complex uh, because that it's a big moneymaker for them, and they privatized yeah. it. You yeah. know, but we have to learn to take lemons and make lemonade. Yeah. One of the things that would knock they knock their rocker off, would make their hat spin around and smoke, is if we turn them into – not just learning institutions, but training institutions. If we begin to turn it, because a lot of our young men are going there, if we begin to organize and have some, and I'm not saying bombard the brothers with black facts or black history, I have to make them super black. But if if the but leaders they, but begin they to come it. together and make they, they love it. Huh? I said, but, but they, they love they it, love right? It. But if the, if the leaders come together and make and, and have some of these classes, for some of their supporters, our followers, and some of those brothers that be on the yard start working and drilling those brothers, and brothers start getting trained, and everybody that's black in the dorm puts something in from commissary, if it ain't nothing but one honey bun for everybody in the dorm, for the brothers who don't have shit, that will cut back on the stealing. When these crackers begin to see brothers in there organized, damn, they feeding each other. They Because some of you Negroes got a lot of shit flowing out of the lockers. I ain't putting you on the spot, nephew. But some of y'all got, <laughs> some of y'all got shit coming out of y'all lockers. <laughs> y'all y'all got to have other people hold y'all stuff. You know what I'm saying? So if all the brothers begin to, you know, somebody put one, every brother in there put a soup into a pot for the brothers that don't have and be tempted to break into people's lockers or to do some unsavory shit for, for a peanut butter cup. I done been locked up seven years. I done seen what niggas will do for a Debbie pie. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and, and they begin to do that. When they saw that organization and that sense of compassion and caring and sharing and training and informing and educating, they would think twice on locking us up. Because when we came, not only will we begin to be indoctrinating ourselves in there, but that would spill out when they came home. You see what I'm saying? And this is one of the you things you got to be charge. careful with that, because you know they they ship the man that do that. You know they ship the brother that's making folks get up and go to school. They hate us getting these diplomas and degrees already. See, they put Absolutely. them here for us, but you know when we start getting them, now they get irritated. Now they get pissed off yes, because they is. didn't expect us. They go up there every morning. They send you up there at 6 o'clock in the morning and you up there till 3. So they didn't expect us to go up there and obtain these degrees and obtain these diplomas. Right. So now, you mm-hmm. know, when you're doing right and you're trying to spread that love, 
you know, they'll ship you, man. They'll get rid of you quick. Absolutely. But you, 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 you know what has to happen. And that's what I said. That's where collectivism comes in. They'll ship the individual. But, see, when that becomes part of the culture, when, all, when everybody does that, you can ship me. And the only thing you're doing, see, we reversed the game bang. What they did to us, they shipped me when I was locked. Man, I went to one prison. I started out in Alto. I don't know if people remember Alto. Alto's old school. When You know what I'm saying? They used to call it Gladiator. Oh, remember the tote. Like, you remember the tote? I started out in Alto. And it wasn't, man, it wasn't a hand. This is not brag. When I moved to Atlanta, man, I could count on one hand the Crips. I know I was responsible for bringing Crips to Atlanta back in 85. You know what I'm saying? 86. Wasn't no Crips in Atlanta. And they moved, and they were shipping out. And we went to the tow, me and my bus partners, four of us. We started recruiting there. They started shipping us. They, oh, we got to break them up. You know what they ended up doing when they shipped us and separated us? You know what we did? What we do? Now they got Crips in four prisons. When they kept us in one prison, it was just Crips in that prison. When they shipped, you know how Crips do? Crip or die, homie. We recruit. Wherever you sent us, we right, recruit. So that's what happens with the revolution. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Ship me if you want to. Now you're going to the same thing that you thought you shipped me from from that prison you're about to see right here in this prison. Because like Fred Hampton said, Fred Hampton Sr. said, you can jail the revolutionary, but you can't kill the revolution. You can kill the revolutionary, but you can't kill an ideology. When you teach one, when each one teach one, it's too late. Once it's out of my mouth and in someone's head and heart and in their actions, whatever you do to Yang and Krumah, it's too late. I done passed it on. I done got rid of it like a bad, I hate to use this, like AIDS. It's HIV. It's revolutionary HIV. I'd have passed that, buddy. It's spreading. And, and, you, know. you know. And this just isn't this isn't just inside. This is when people you see in the corner store. This yeah. is the little kids on you know on little league. This is no matter what, leave them with something. Even if you just teach them an African word or a greeting. Even if you teach them, look, do you know there is such a thing as a black government? Do you know that you can govern yourself? You know, do you know, you know, all of these things, take the moment to plant that seed because it will grow. No matter what, it will grow, whether mm-hmm. it's early, whether it's late, it's going to grow. So don't hesitate anywhere to, to let that be seen. So, you know, sometimes I don't know why, but people feel shy about being African or African-centered or being African-American. Don't be shy about being African-American and proud of it. You know, don't be shy about having, you know, your nappy hair. Don't be shy about, you know, how you wear your clothes and who you really are because who you are, you don't know who's looking at you. And you don't know how many examples. We got tons of examples of nonsense all over the place. But mm-hmm. be that one example of consciousness. Be that one example of enlightenment without being corn. okay? Be, be that opportunity for somebody to, you know, ask a question without feeling silly about asking the question. So, you know, we have to really begin to be that person that people can ask the question to. You know, people are going to go home and read. I hope you do. Google, look online. I don't care what you do. But open yourself up to be that person that they can go to afterwards, after they've read something, and have a question and say, hey, look, I got a question. You know, I've been mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to my training classes. I got questions. I got this. I got that. Because I'm like, look, I'm going to get the most out of this educational process as possible. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so be that person that people can go to for questions. Don't hesitate, you know. And so sometimes that means you got to put yourself out there and stand up and say, you know, I'm not a nigger, you know, and really mm-hmm. be okay with that because you have to understand that you may have to stand um, by yourself in a sea of niggas to show yeah. and prove that you're not. Yeah, yeah, and and absolutely. Be that person and with the intentions of implementing in our culture a culture of resistance, a culture of liberation, a culture of revolution, and that will come from, like the sister is saying, standing up and encouraging people to create programs. That's why to go back to like I was saying, and, and I understand what you're saying. Food. I know a lot of because I've been there, Lieutenant Robert, so I know exactly what you're saying. They will transfer you. They will oppress you. They'll lock you down. They'll take your store call. They will do anything oh, if yeah. they think that oh, you're disruptive. They'll put, uh, yeah, they'll put you on a gang file. They will do all of that stuff. Man, You'll be teaching man. knowledge, and they'll say you, you're teaching gang, baby. They will and do see, all I was trying to organize everybody that was ahead of something to meet me on the yard so we could – man, they had so much just us on us so heavy to where I was like, yo, the only way we're going to stop this, man, is if all the big homies get together and, 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 and talk and, and let, it, let everybody know that we are accountable for our people. So govern your people, man. Get your people together, man, because everybody's just That's robbing right. and stabbing everybody. That's stupid. When we could be up here really, you know what I'm saying, better than ourselves and getting a little money. And that's and that's what so, it's about. The heads the heads meet. It doesn't have to be a big production about it. You can meet a child sitting at the same table, you rap into a head and they go back in they cuts and train their soldiers. We know how we get out, but that maybe have to we have to roll a little bit, a little clandestine. You know, everything that's the other thing. What you know, what I was saying, not knocking all the formations, but everything is a big parade. Everything's a big show. They want to be on Facebook and got their uniforms and got their guns that are really anquedated and outdated when you're talking about going up against this military machine yes, called the United States Army. That shit is laughable. Like Chief War tell you, they that shit y'all shooting ain't even gonna go through. They they ain't even gotta wear a, a, a flank vest. Mm-hmm. Hell, they got. Their uniforms are tougher than them little AR-15 bullets you got. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the cloth they sew their clothes with. So, you know, all of that is really for show. And it's good. If that's good for morale, then I, I don't have a problem with it, as long as people don't really bite into that shit and think that that's going to shake anything. But, like, I roll. You see, for those that follow me on Facebook, see my Facebook, you don't see me suited and booted, but I'll be in New York. Uh, the sister, We'll be in uh, Dallas, what, in a couple weeks, sister? Yes. So we'll be in Dallas. I get an opportunity to meet with the um, Austin chapter. Uh, um, so we get an opportunity to meet with the Austin chapter. Um, so there's a, But sometimes you just roll and you roll clandestine and you rap to your people to go back and rap to their people. Everything doesn't have to be a big production, but everything must, but everything must have a sense of urgency. And we must have that sense of not just urgency, but accountability and responsibility. Like, yo, I got to do this. This is my mission in life. You know, a part of not just being a good husband and a good father and a good uh, whatever, uh, a community person, you know, but that a part of my mission is to be accountable and responsible to the race in which I belong. It's a mandate. I don't have an option, a say in the matter. Yes, it's a lot easier to close my racial eye, to turn a blind eye, 
to the things that are happening to us as a whole and to go on and feel sheltered and secure in this little world that I've created for myself in this little make-believe world that everything is all right with me. But like I told you, I was watching that, um, that documentary, the untold, the untold story of the history of the United States. And one thing that was a recurring theme throughout the whole thing is that none of them thought that it was an individual thing. It was all about, to them, their understanding. I hate, I don't like to say America because, like the said, we're African-American. To say America the way they understand it is to say America is just straight white. And America is not straight white. That will be a whole nother show. But to, their understanding of America and to maintain their understanding of America is what was important and imperative to them, even if it meant because it was the, the primary was focused was on presidents from Truman on, Dwight Eisenhower on that, was what how they could better America, even if it means that their personal uh, legacy looked like crap, even if they had to be the monsters. At that particular time, their thing was history will redeem me for what I did for the cause of American imperialism. That's right. They weren't worried about their individual self. If they were worried about the individual self, a lot of those decisions they made, they would not have made, be it right or wrong. They were thinking what was in the best interest of America at the expense of my individual personal reputation liberties, and in some instances and cases, freedoms. At the risk of perjury, penalty of jail, and everything else, they were making decisions for the advancement of America. And we have to have that same type of fever, that same type of love of who we are as a people. We have to become, we have to begin to be sick of being a nigger. We have been niggerized so long that not only have we accepted being a nigger, we've turned the word into a term of endearment. Listen to what what I'm saying, huh? And not only do we have to get tired of being a nigger, we have to not want to put that on nobody else either. You know, there comes a point where it's like, you know what, it's not cool nowhere, whether it's me, whether it's the Mexicans, whether it's the the gays and Mexicans, it's not a positive thing. You know, we have to be better just because we're better. Not because someone else is our worst. Absolutely, absolutely, and worse is relative. You know, I, I'm absolutely. like you, sister. That's just cowardliness not to step up and man up. It's easier to say, hey, you know, like Chief War said, it's easier to throw the attention on somewhere else. Hey, look at them though. That's right. You know, look at them. They don't speak English. Or look at them. They don't. You know, yeah, I'm a nigger, but I speak your language, boss. He he speaks Spanish. He a wetback. You know, so it's easier or, you know, look at them boss, they do this and that. You know, I'm more like you than they are. I'm not you, but I'm more closer to you than they are, right? It's cowardliness. Yeah. It's cowardliness. You know, and like I said, we 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 we've become so niggerized. Not only do we make other people niggers, we made it a term of endearment. We try to justify it. I love Tupac Shakur the rapper. That's my boy. He said nigger is never ignorant, getting goals accomplished. We start making Nigga into an acronym for other stuff. Nigga mean, you know what I'm saying? That's that's how much we have been beat down. We have to say, no, you know what? Ain't no nigga right here, partner. There's nothing but black African men and women, or Moorish men, or whatever you call it, melanated adult men and women 
or melanated children or melanin whatever, but ain't no niggas around here because nigga there is no place is nigger land and niggas have never accomplished or built anything throughout the history of hu- humanity. Listen, I could go on for days and we're running on our last ends. I want to thank everyone who spent this Thursday with us, tuned in. Catch us next Thursday, same time, same station. For my brothers, my Lieutenant Robert, Chairman, uh, High Key for the Brothers Behind Enemy Lines, man, keep your head up. Educate, organize, and agitate. Educate, organize, and agitate. Educate, organize, and agitate. Always behind enemy lines, man. Do y'all things. And with that, I'll leave the people as I always Same, give the people. And that's all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power. You, I fight myself, I fight God, just tell me how many burdens left, I fight pain and hurricanes, today I wept, I'm trying to fight back tears, flood on my doorstep, life to live in hell, puddles of blood in the street, shooters on top of the building, government aid ain't relief, earthquake, the body drop, the ground breaks, the poor run with smoke lungs and scar face, who need a hero, hero. you need a hero, look in the mirror, there go your hero, who on the front lines, the ground zero, hero. my heart don't skip a beat, even when hard times bumps the needle, mass destruction and mass corruption, the souls are suffering, Gotta be sacrificed for the greater good, then that's what it got.